1: Terms and conditions
3: apply. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. How... Can you allege the FBI may have planted evidence if nobody has yet seen the evidence? Last night, two Trump lawyers, one of whom was at the raid, suggested the FBI probably planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago and Newt Gingrich went on one of the nut job streaming networks and suggested the FBI probably planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago and a guy on Fox News with the IQ of a ferret said he had a hunch the FBI probably planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago and Lindsey Graham calmly agreed with him and then a guy fired from Fox News said the FBI probably planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago and it's really really odd that before anybody but you and your lawyers and maybe your closest confidants have any clue whatsoever what was in the 10 to 12 boxes they pulled out of your home, before the government says what was in them, or there is a slight leak about what was in them, or there is the slightest indication that the boxes were not just full of presidential coasters and matchbook covers he stole so he could sell them on eBay, your own lawyers are in essence saying the FBI found bad, bad bad things when they raided your house, but it all must have been planted. We don't know what the damning documents in the Trump-Mar-a-Lago boxes were, but if 24 hours after the raid, you are already insisting that those damning documents were planted by the FBI, it means there are damning documents in the boxes. You just don't say, evidence was planted before the evidence is revealed, unless you know evidence is going to be revealed. Holy cow! Not, Trump's not guilty, of course he didn't steal top secret documents. There's nothing in the boxes, you'll see. Not, he's innocent. Not, there was nothing to find and that's what they found, nothing. No, none of that, just, oh, all that stuff they haven't found yet was planted by the FBI. Nobody, but nobody, has suggested Trump is not guilty. Even the fascists and the Trump brown nosers and Republicans who rushed to comment about the raid and did not declare that the evidence we don't know about yet was all planted. None of them even said, Trump's innocent, he's not guilty. Every high-profile politician focused entirely on A, the raid, B, the process, C, the evil FBI, D, the more evil DOJ. E, if they can do it to Trump, imagine what they could do to you. And, of course, F, Biden's FBI director and an Obama judge, even though the FBI director was appointed by Trump and the judge who signed the warrant was appointed by... Checks, notes. Trump! Elise Stefanik and Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Josh Hawley and Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin and Kevin McCarthy and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo and Boebert and Cavewoman and all of them bleeding everything from impeach Garland to defund the FBI to Biden is a despot attacking the agents, attacking the warrant, attacking the bureau, attacking the DOJ and not one of them saying I'm confident President Trump is not guilty. Sean Hannity, Tuesday night, didn't even say he's not guilty. All he said was to tell guest Marco Rubio, quote, there were no hookers in the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow urinating on Donald Trump's bed. Thanks for that update, Sean. Even the militia types and the QAnons and the January 6thers all of them announcing lock and load and civil war and cold civil war. The entirety of their public output is about how corrupt the FBI is and how Biden is a despot Now Garland must pay, still waiting on one. Of course they found nothing. Trump's innocent. Even the lunatic nominated for governor by the Republicans of Maryland, Dan Cox, fundraising off the raid by writing, quote, As governor, I will use the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, the Maryland Constitution and Declaration of Rights, the Maryland State Police and Maryland National Guard to stand against all rogue actions of this out-of-control, tyrannical Biden administration with fierce tenacity. And then adding all this was, quote, nothing short of communist Stasi police state tactics. I noticed you didn't mention whether or not Trump was innocent. And where is Trump's statement? Where was Trump's statement on Tuesday? Where was Trump spokesman Tyler Budowich's statement on Tuesday? Where was Trump spokeswoman Liz Harrington's statement on Tuesday? It's quiet. And to finish the cliche, it's too quiet. While the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and all the networks try to convince us... That the raid at Mar-a-Lago was this kind of dangerous gamble, and that kind of Rubicon crossed, and this kind of unprecedented risk. Why on earth, how on earth, was El Duche himself silent? This is arguably the most attention he and he alone, no co-conspirators, no January 6th militia guys, no endorsees, he himself... It's the most publicity he himself has gotten since he left Washington in humiliation on January 20th, 2021. The field is his. This creature who lives to play the victim, to be the martyr, to be at the center. Actually, shut up. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he shut up because he has been thrown off balance by this raid. And he and the real lawyers agreed he has to stay quiet or had to since that first whiny announcement about the raid happening, because they all know he's guilty. Nobody is saying otherwise. They all know the FBI had the evidence, got the evidence. And as the hundreds and thousands of his own sycophants whined and raged and threatened and lied at every corner, Trump may have actually noticed the same thing I noticed, that nobody is defending him. They are all only attacking them. Now, apart from the obvious flaws in the two defenses presented for Trump, it was all planted and it's all their fault there is something for Democrats to lean into here. Trumpists have been so unnerved by the raid, by the state actually standing up for, you know, the laws, so terrified by that that they have widely called for shutting down the Department of Justice and defunding the FBI. Defunding. They're going to defund the closest things we have to the federal detectives and and the federal police this is the new republican mantra it started within literally hours of the raid defund the police hang that around the neck of every republican and every fascist and every trump buttlicker. the republicans want to defund the police we we are the democrats we are the party of law and order There's one other fascinating development in this. The last of the nonviolent Trump coup attempts, the bid to appoint this environmental lawyer and pro-Trump lunatic Jeffrey Clark as attorney general so he could appoint Special Prosecutor Sidney Powell. (laughs) And they could, between them, start seizing voting machines and declaring states of emergency. That all hinged on the efforts of a guy Clark knew. His name was Scott Perry earlier scott perry had texted mark meadows and told him that the dominion voting machines had been hacked by china perry was and is a congressman from pennsylvania and late tuesday afternoon he went over to fox and revealed quote this morning while traveling with my family three fbi agents visited me and seized my cell phone they made no attempt to contact my lawyer who would have made arrangements for them to have my phone if that was their wish I'm outraged, though not surprised that... All right, I'll interrupt the quote to ask you. Where do you think he went next? Did he proclaim his innocence? Not a chance. Scott Perry simply attacked Merrick Garland. Not one statement like, I've done nothing wrong, I'm innocent. I guess we're just lucky he didn't also accuse the FBI agents of planting evidence on his phone. Nude pictures of Alex Jones' wife or something. And lastly, amid the universal hand-wringing about raiding a former president's home, during which nobody, nobody seems to think they didn't find really, really bad stuff, during the calculations of how this impacts the presidential race in 24, a closing thought courtesy the comedy writer Ben Wexler. This is going to enrage Trump's base? Bro, the words... Happy holidays, enraged Trump's base. Still ahead on Countdown Postscripts to the news, Facebook works for the police. Good day to dismantle Facebook. Speaking of days, I'll recount the day Aaron Sorkin put my late dad's words into the mouth of Jeff Daniels, and a brilliant collection of worse persons, including this idiot, Portnoy from Barstool Sports, who ripped one Little League baseball player for consoling a player on a rival team. That's next. This is Countdown. <laughs>
1: If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
2: Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details.
1: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every... Every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet 365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800
0: GAMBLER. This is Countdown with Keith (laughs) Oberman.
3: Just ahead. So you're married to Alex Jones and he sent a naked picture of you to Roger Stone. Yet you say that's the least of your problems. Is that what's bothering you, Bunky? Ahead in the latest edition of the Worst Persons in the World. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need whom you can help. Every dog has its day. Today, that dog is Ox. Ox is stuck in the Hempstead Animal Shelter on Long Island, New York. He's two years old. And 254 days of his life have been spent in that shelter. Ox would be best with a family where everybody is 15 or older, but he likes other dogs. He's 46 pounds, very energetic, very goofy. Ox is black and white, a medium sized pibble mix with a big smile. If you're interested, email adoption at hempsteadny.gov or just go to my account for dogs in need, Tom Jumbo Grumbo, on Twitter to see Ox and get the links. That'll take you to his website. That's Ox in New York at Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter. Thank you. Coming up on Countdown, I said it to Aaron Sorkin, and the next thing I knew it was coming out of Jeff Daniels' mouth on the TV. Plus, did you see the Marshawn Lynch mugshot? Sports and worse persons coming up, but first, postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some thoughts, and some snark. All right, dateline, the primaries. Representative Ilhan Omar narrowly won renomination in Minnesota, but bizarro Trumpist Scott Jensen got the Republican nomination there for governor. Scott Walker's choice for the governor nod in Wisconsin. Rebecca Cleefish lost outright, possibly because Walker misspelled her name in a tweet. Dateline Menlo Park, California. This would be a good day for you to delete Facebook. The unpoliced playground for grifters, conspiracy theorists, Russian trolls and militias is now acting as an agent for prosecutors for state government. 17-year-old Celeste Burgess and her mother, Jessica, have been charged with abortion by medication in Nebraska. And the primary evidence, messages on Facebook between the mother and daughter, which the state of Nebraska went to court to get and which Facebook provided without the slightest resistance. They just said, okay. Those messages were then the basis of further warrants, with which prosecutors were able to seize 13 computers and phones and 24 gigabytes of data. If you write something on social media, especially on Facebook, and you think it is somehow private, think again you would get more privacy standing in the middle of Times Square naked and screaming. Speaking of naked and screaming, Dateline Washington, Doug Mastriano, one of the January 6th thugs, the one who wound up as the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania, bailed out of his virtual appearance in front of the January 6th committee. Several news outlets said that entire appearance lasted less than 15 minutes. Mastriano never answered a single question, and all they did was listen to Mastriano demand the right to video record the session. One assumes he will now be charged as Steve Bannon and many others have been with contempt of Congress, which, of course, is the letter G on the fascist candidate bingo card. A related story, but Dateline Atlanta, a Fulton County judge, has refused Rudy Giuliani's request to testify to a grand jury next week by Zoom and told him instead to either show up or prove his lawyer's contention that Rudy just had a heart stent put in and he can't fly and he didn't buy those plane tickets to Europe last week in his name. Judge Robert McDerney had another suggestion as well, quoting the judge. John Madden drove all over the country in his big bus from stadium to stadium. So one thing we need to explore is whether Mr. Giuliani could get here without jeopardizing his recovery and his health on a train, on a bus or Uber or whatever it would be, unquote. How about hitching? Have you considered hitching, Rudy? And Dateline Salt Lake City. Clichés come to life number 27. There's a pro-Trump, pro-gun, pro-violence clothing manufacturer called Lions Not Sheep, and they sell Let's Go Brandon and FJB shirts and similar apparel for those so weak they need to boast about how strong they are. Lions Not Sheep loudly stated its T-shirts and other apparel were manufactured in America, The Federal Trade Commission investigated, and now the company has to pay a fine of $211,335 because the only part of the manufacturing process that actually occurred in America was ripping off the made-in-China tags and replacing them with ones reading made-in-U.S.A.
1: This is Sports
0: Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This
3: is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Briefly from the world of sports, she's calling it an evolution, not a retirement, but nevertheless, it sure looks like Serena Williams is retiring after the U.S. Open, after 23 Grand Slam victories, 24 if she wins the Open. You could talk about her career for days and that they will at the open, before it, after it, but I never think of Williams without thinking of the great Chris Everett's open letter to her in Tennis Magazine just a while back. Let me quote part of it for you. I've been thinking about your career, she wrote, and something is troubling me. I appreciate that becoming a well-rounded person is important to you as you've made that desire very clear. Still, a question lingers. Do you ever consider your place in history? Is it something you care about? In the short term, you may be happy with the various things going on in your life, but I wonder whether 20 years from now you might reflect on your career and regret not putting 100% of yourself into tennis. Because whether you want to admit it or not, these distractions are tarnishing your legacy. Chris Everett wrote that about Serena Williams in 2006. That's five Australian Open wins ago and five Wimbledons and four U.S. Opens and two Frenches. That's some tarnished legacy right there. I mentioned Tuesday that Bill Haslam, the former anti-LGBT governor of Tennessee, is now on a path to take over hockey's Nashville Predators, unless the National Hockey League does something to stop it. I have since been reminded that Luke Prokop, a six-foot-four, two 215-pound behemoth defense prospect, likely to play in the American Hockey League in the season ahead, came out last year. First player under contract to an NHL team to do that. The team he's under contract to is the Nashville Predators. He's likely to play with their AHL farm team this year. Somebody better stop this very fast. Not him playing, but this idiot Haslam taking over the team. And lastly, in sports, somewhere there is a Mugshot Hall of Fame. And Marshawn Lynch was just inducted into the Mugshot Hall of Fame. Yes, at 7.30 a.m. local prevailing time in Las Vegas Tuesday, police pulled over a guy driving erratically. It was the former Seahawks star. One day after the team welcomed him back as a, quote, special correspondent who is or was to produce content for Seattle, the content in Marshawn Beast Mode Lynch resulted in the following four charges. DUI, failure to surrender proof of security, failure to stay in your lane, and driving an unregistered vehicle. In the mugshot, his left eye is open to a distance of about half an inch, his right eye to about a quarter of an inch. And no, he's not just here so he doesn't get fined. Still ahead, Aaron Sorkin and the line in one of his TV shows that led all of my exes to immediately contact me in a span of about 25 minutes, coming up on Countdown. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Dave Portnoy, that confused-looking guy who brought you bar stool sample sports. At the Little League World Series Regional in Waco, Texas on Tuesday, a pitch got away from Texas East pitcher Caden Shelton and hit Isaiah Jarvis of Oklahoma in the head, knocked his helmet off. The batter Jarvis was okay, but the pitcher Shelton was visibly shaken, nearly in tears. Jarvis first shouted over to him from first base, then jogged to the mound and gave him a hug, assured him he was okay, and he told Shelton, quote, you're doing great. This putz, Portnoy, promptly tweeted, This isn't good sportsmanship. And he spelled sportsmanship as if it were two words. It's dumb. You got this kid on the mound. He's rattled. Trip to Williamsport on the line. You can play patty cakes after. As far as the pitcher goes, that's your plate. The kids are 13. Which is presumably also when whatever happened to screw Portnoy up so badly happened. You almost feel sorry for Portnoy. Almost. The Bronze disgraced ex-New York Governor Andrew Cuomo reacting to Mar-a-Lago F yourself by tweeting, quote, DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its raid and it must be more than a search for inconsequential archives or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of January 6th investigations. For crying out loud, how many mistakes can you make in one lifetime? It had nothing to do with the January 6th investigations. Read something. Sheesh, Cuomo, between you and your brother Chris, I'm going to need to see some DNA proof that you are actually Mario Cuomo's kids. But our winner, Alex Jones, just keeps getting better and better for him. Now the truth comes out. The intimate texts to Roger Stone that the Sandy Hook lawyer referred to, they included a naked picture of Jones's wife, which Jones texted to Stone for whatever bizarre reason. Erica Wolf Jones confirmed it to Business Insider, quoting her, honestly, I was unaware that this occurred, she said. I'm sure this was some kind of brag exchange, look how hot my wife is kind of thing. Let me interrupt. If so, what did Stone send Jones in return? Look how hot my toupee is? Anyway, to finish Mrs. Jones's priceless quote, I am upset that he took privilege to send the image to someone without my knowledge. However, that's really the least of my problems right now. Business Insider actually claimed to not really understand what Mrs. Jones meant by that's really the least of my problems right now when it seems pretty obvious. She's stuck being the wife of Alex freaking Jones. (laughs) Alex, have you ever seen pictures of your wife naked? Would you like to, Jones? Today's... WORST PERSON IN THE WORLD! This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures, and with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today.
1: Terms and conditions
3: apply. Finally, our number one story on the countdown things I promised not to tell, and back to my favorite topic me. I heard Jeff Daniels say the words, and in the next minute, my cell phone rang. It was an ex girlfriend. While we were talking, an email arrived from another ex-girlfriend, and then in came a text from the current girlfriend at her folks' house. Then two more emails, and before I was off the phone, two voicemails. And then regular friends started to contact me. This is just over ten years ago now. It was Sunday, August 5th, 2012. Jeff Daniels was playing the controversial newscaster and commentator on Aaron Sorkin's HBO series Newsroom, which was based structurally on me and Countdown. And I know this because Aaron Sorkin told me so before he filmed any of it. And I know this because he asked me if he could base the pilot episode on what happened to me at MSNBC in the spring and summer of 2010. And I know this because he came in and shadowed the staff of Countdown for two days to get the feel for the place. And I know this because he wound up basing one character, Maggie Jordan, on my assistant, Margaret Judson, and then hiring Margaret Judson as a consultant, and then hiring her as an actress to play a part that wasn't supposed to be her. And I know this because he was furious when I would not fly to Denver, I think it was, to do a cameo in the pilot. And I know this because he said he was hiring me as a consultant. And I know this because I never saw a dime out of it. This was the second time Aaron Sorkin had based one of his TV series on one of my TV series. The other was called Sports Night. And Esquire magazine once asked me to interview Sorkin about Sports Night, and I asked him the real tough question. What was the origin of Sports Night? And his answer was, quote, you are the origin. So when the New York Times had called me about Newsroom, I lightheartedly said it was nice to know in advance this time that Aaron Sorkin was making a TV series about me. Sorkin did not like this at all. And he told all his actors to tell all their interviewers that this was not true. And I know that because Jeff Daniels told me that that was what Sorkin had told him. Sorkin is interesting. I had known him for about 10 or 12 years when he came in to Countdown to see what it looked and felt like. And he was 20 minutes late. And my assistant, Margaret, after whom he named Maggie Jordan, whom he then hired away from me, and whom he finally hired as an actress to play Tess Weston, and she was great, by the way, Margaret brings him in and he apologizes for being late and he says he's staying in a hotel two blocks away and he should have just walked, but instead he got in a car. And the next thing he knew, he was six blocks away, caught in traffic caused by the complete shutdown of one of the crosstown streets for midday construction. And I laughed and I said, well, like my late father, the architect used to say, New York, it'll be a great town whenever they finish it. And he laughed. And I laughed. And two years later, in the seventh episode of the HBO Newsroom series, first aired on August 5th, 2012, and re-aired throughout the week, Jeff Daniels, as the anchorman Will McAvoy, who wasn't me, but actually kind of was me, is late to his newsroom because he gets caught in Manhattan traffic caused by Sunday night street construction, and he says to his exasperated producer, New York, it'll be a great town whenever they finish it. That's when my phone and email blew up and the then girlfriend and like 40% of all of my exes ever all had the same question. New York, it'll be a great town whenever they finish it. Isn't that what your dad used to say? Even the ones who never met my dad knew this because I used to quote him constantly because the real humor in the quote is the fact that my dad was an architect and construction was his business. New York, it'll be a great town whenever they finish it. And then one of the last of the exes reached out. She waited until the show was over. Now, I don't think any of us is proud of this, but she had also dated Sorkin once or twice. And since she had written celebrity stories for a New York newspaper, he had later asked her by email what the world of gossip reporting was like. And she told him by email. And what she now told me made Aaron Sorkin's use of my dad's quote, and other parts of my life seem like possible coincidences. She said she was watching the third, maybe fourth episode of Newsroom, and in walked a new character, a gossip columnist, a woman. And the first sentence the character said was, my friend and ex said, word for word, something she had sent to Sorkin in one of the emails about the gossip business. She said when she heard it, her face started to get red, and it would keep getting redder. The gossip columnist character's second line had also been cut and pasted from my ex's email. Then her long speech. Then all of her dialogue, she said, in her second scene. My ex actually managed to record that episode and to find her own email to Sorkin and to compare them. And she said, other than changing a couple of tenses, he had used her answers verbatim. I met the actor Josh Charles during the 2000 World Series. I was there anchoring it for Fox Sports. Josh was there promoting his new show on Fox. Josh had played Dan Rydell on Sorkin's Sports Night series, and even Sorkin and I agree Dan Rydell is just me with a different haircut. I was walking up 6th Avenue one day in October 2000, and from several blocks away, I saw Josh Charles walking towards me. So I had several minutes to prepare what I could say to him. This was not spontaneous, sadly. But after our eyes met and I smiled and he gave me that yes, I'm on TV look that I recognize and have myself deployed, he switched suddenly to shock and even a little apprehension. And I said the line I had been rehearsing in my head for several minutes. Excuse me, you don't get to say this often in life, but didn't you used to play me on TV? Right there on 6th Avenue, Josh told me about the ordeal of working with and for Aaron Sorkin, and I thought he just meant for actors. But I later found out because New York, it'll be a great town whenever they finish it. Josh and I are still friends. We've gone to ball games together. We were in a fantasy baseball league together, and one night on my ESPN2 show, we came back from commercial, giving the audience no warning or explanation, and we simply started co-anchoring the show and calling it Sports Night, and making references to the program and to newsroom. And then he said, why did we keep reading this? And I said, I don't know. I just assumed Sorkin had run out of new ideas. The mutual laughter that followed was sincere. There is one more punchline to the newsroom Sorkin story because I was like his seventh guest ever. When Stephen Colbert wrapped up the Colbert Report on Comedy Central, I was invited to be on the final farewell episode, me and like 99 other people. There were so many of us ranging from Barry Manilow to Brian Cranston, to Big Bird, that they had like nine green rooms in the Comedy Central building. And I get there and they send me to the green room I would be sharing with several other people and I trudge up a bunch of stairs to the top floor and in this big room, there is only one other performer there yet. It's Jeff Daniels. Without saying hello, he says, now wait, let me explain. Sorkin told me and I explained and then he explained and then I explained some more and Jeff said Oh, a lot. And once he said, oops. And Sorkin didn't tell me that. And after about three minutes, he said, so I owe you an apology. And I said, no, you don't, it's not your fault. And he smiled and he said, well, great, I'm glad. So can we take a picture together that I can put out on Twitter? And I said, yeah, absolutely. But only if you capture it, New York. It'll be a great town whenever they finish it. <laughs> I've done all the damage I can do here. This is where I ask for ratings and subscriptions from you for the podcast and for telling your friends and or enemies I say thank you. The Countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Did you hear my New York accent come out there in all? Talking about my dad. All orchestration and keyboards. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. The other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the Olbermann theme, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN, Inc. That's the one from the show that Josh Charles and I co-anchored for about three minutes. Musical comments throughout by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer in this episode was John Dean. Everything else is my fault. And that is Countdown for this, the 581st day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck.